Happy New Year and welcome to the fellowship. My name is Adam Hawk. Sitting with me is Ryan Engel. And what do you know, folks? Just like that, it's an election year. And I <laughs> and I'm sure with I didn't think you were going there, dude. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure with the way political discourse and general decorum has trended in this country the last decade, we are all in for a very respectful, very subdued, very democratic trip around the sun here in America. Luckily for you, the loyal listener, we do not dabble in that genre not even sarcastically. So allow me to pivot and say a pleasant 2024 to my best friend, my business partner, and my iPod broadcasting co-host, Ryan Joshua Engel. RJ, how are we doing in this brand new year? You love to hear it, Adam. You just, you know, it's just, wow, what an intro. Thank you for not silencing me like a political opponent. My pleasure. There's so much to get to today, including a recap of our Mary Swankmas live show on YouTube. Wow, there's so much. Which might have been even more entertaining once we went off the air. We Summer had, saying it was our best show. It really was. It, and I, yeah, it, you know. It's not just us saying it. Okay. A lot, okay. Of, people well, are a lot of people are talking, huh? Well, our Mary Swankmas live show, as I mentioned, might have been more entertaining once we went off the air. We have our respective holiday breaks to discuss Harold Varner III did the wrong kind of Tiger Woods impression. <laughs> and His mugshot looked pretty close, though. <laughs> it, and that's exactly what we're talking about. And we have some New Year's resolutions to disclose. And why don't we start right there, since it's topical. Ingle, with a fresh 12-page calendar staring you in the mug, what are some things you hope to accomplish this year? I'll take three resolutions from you, please. One is I'm going to get back on the, not health train in a sense, just like the self-maintenance. You know, I, I did a little bit of it last year. I saw some great results. What we're talking about is just some basic workout stuff on the daily, just adding that to my routine, kind of like some prison yard workout kind of thing, small weights and stuff, just to keep the blood going. And my goal with that is not only to get in a little better shape and be more well taken care of, but I feel like if you can incorporate that into your daily routine, it stems more positive things to line up with it. I'm hoping that that can be kind of the Kickstarter to to the rest of my stuff. The other thing is I'm I'm gonna really really try to uh, be more in tune with the big man upstairs and speak to him and hope he can guide me and help me right some of my wrongs because I'm an idiot sinner just like the rest. Those are the two, and the third one kind of goes inside with all that, and it's just kind of diet. I'm a big foodie, you know, when it comes to going out to eat and restaurants and stuff, and, and I, I, I love that experience and indulging, but when I'm outside of that world and enjoying myself, when I'm on like the cooking for yourself or choosing what you're eating just on the daily to, to get through the days at work and stuff like that, I'm just going to be a little more conscious of what I'm putting in the tank. But I will say this, that... Those three things, although sound very self-indulging, I'm doing those because I believe that those things build a better relationship with the people that matter. You know, like I'm, I'm hoping those things help me be a better guy for you, my wife, my family, my daughter. If I'm feeling better, 
and I'm looking better and I'm more confident. I have more energy and I'm proud about what I'm putting in and what I'm doing and, and I'm feeling like I'm getting right with the man upstairs. I think that's going to snowball into life, business, and all the above. I love it. Very earnest resolutions, which I appreciate. So we've got fitness, spirituality, and dieting. Yeah. Resolution number one for me, I want to get this podcast sponsored. It's, mm. It deserves to be sponsored. It should be sponsored. The listenership is here. The content is top notch. The sound quality is pristine. The cadence of weekly episodes is consistent. And frankly, as much as we love doing it, we should be paid for it. <laughs> so that's on the top of my list. Especially since you work about 400 times harder on it than I do. <laughs> there we go. Right, let's get paid for this. Where's the split? Is this a 50-50 operation? 100%. Wow. One. I feel like I'm getting away with it there. Let's just put it this way, Adam. You're giving me some strokes. And it's about time that this equation flips in your favor. <laughs> let's get this podcast sponsored. Resolution number two, stop procrastinating. I truly believe the root of my crippling anxiety is in my procrastination. And I think that if I just buck up and do the things that I don't want to do, return the texts and the DMs and emails as they come in, tackle the daunting tasks immediately instead of putting them off, I think I'll gain control over my life, be able to set boundaries when I'm not working, accomplish more things, make room for bigger, more important goals, and rid myself of this impending doom feeling that I'm frequently saddled with. Love it. Thank you very much. Resolution number three, buckle up, folks. I am resolving to embrace the awkwardness of not tipping on remedial service transactions. I love this. I am going to pocket the hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars as a result. Look, we've talked about it before. We are both huge proponents of the service industry and tipping 20% when warranted, but tipping is out of control right now. Every time you walk to a counter to exchange money for an item, someone is flipping around a screen and watching to see if you're gonna go into your pocket and add a little extra, despite the fact that they aren't about to do anything extra. And it's gotta stop. And I'll admit it, I'm a guilty tipper. I think we all are. Mm -hmm. We tip out of shame, we tip to avoid embarrassment or awkwardness, hell, we might tip because most tipping is now done up front before the job begins. And we don't want someone to spit in our food or pour a lukewarm cup of coffee. That's a great point. That's the problem. That's the main issue. I'm with you on that. And because they're handling your food or your drink, you feel inclined to tip because you don't want that food or drink to suffer from the fact that you didn't tip. Now, Listen, if I'm sitting down for a meal and being waited on or getting a haircut or a tattoo, then you better believe I'm tipping appropriately. But if you're fetching me a donut that I picked out or pouring a drip coffee or assembling a burrito at Chipotle that's going to give me a wicked case of the butt piss, then I'm sorry. I'm done tipping you because at that point, it's not tipping. It's just a tax. And if tax is optional, which it's never been until now with this absurd tipping system we've got going on, then I am going to choose to opt out and not pay it. And if you work one of these jobs and you don't like what I'm saying, take it up with your employer who has made the conscious business decision to pass your wages on to the customer. 2024, the year of the stiff. You love it. All right, let's go back to December 22nd, the night of our Mary Swankmas show live on YouTube. If you missed the show, I personally think you missed the best live show we've ever done. And if you want to talk about a bounce back from the Black Friday show, this was it. 
The good news is you can still watch it whenever you want on demand. It's on our YouTube channel under the live tab. And I'd recommend that you do because it was great. You give the kids a chance to knock off the rust and just watch them go. And that's what Ryan and I did on Friday the 22nd. There were many, many highlights from the show, including Thomas Wrighton, who brought an electric pocket piano and played from the bar all night long picking his spots perfectly and just coating the entire show in sonic pixie dust. We loved it. There was also an ammunition smoking eggnog drink that knocked our Christmas stockings off. (laughs) Brian Vidal brought gifts and played the conga drum. Chris from Cousin Clubs was a fantastic sober counterbalance. Eunice was great working the live chat. Andy Wall was awesome, getting us all drunk and telling the story about turning sports gambling winnings into a 10-year wine and spirits business. Nick Smith produced his ass off like he always does, but, and let's cut to the chase here, folks. The night belonged to one Tony Bacardi. Now, this requires a little bit of a setup, but I'll rush through it as quickly as possible so Ryan can jump in here. Tony Bacardi is a dear, dear friend of ours. We love him. He loves us. He is as generous and kind a person as you'll ever meet. He'd do anything for his friends. If you look up the word loyalty in the dictionary, you will see a duck-lipped, squinty eyes selfie of Tony Bacardi with the seatbelt on inside his Maserati making some wannabe dating app profile picture face at the camera. That's what you'll see. The guy is the best. He's also huge. He is a big, big human being. And I don't mean that he's fat. He's just a tank. He's tall. He's broad. He's built like a house. So you might be thinking that it would take a case of brown liquor to knock this guy off his feet. Quite the opposite, actually. Relatively speaking, to his size, I am going to call this man a lightweight. And I only say that because I can count on zero fingers how many times I've passed out on the sidewalk, and now I've seen it twice from Tony Bacardi, which is weird because he's huge, and his last name is Bacardi. Two years ago at the Nation Derby on Catalina Island, we had to barge in a crane to lift him out of a planner's box that he folded over into. Little did we know, that was just a warm-up act for Mary Swankmas 10 days ago. Now, still in the backstory here, Tony had texted me in mid-December that he wanted to come on the show. Great. Fine. Perfect. Let's do it. I'm a producer by trade, so I started thinking of the bit that we could do with Tony, and it instantly dawned on me, let's bring this guy on the show for 10 minutes to debate Ryan Engel on various golf topics. Why would I want to have a debate show break out in the middle of a swanky Christmas soiree? Because I knew it had serious, serious potential to be a 10-car pileup. And it was. For context, when we first launched this podcast last summer, Tony listened religiously, and this speaks to his loyalty as a friend. That's what friends do. They support your endeavors, and he did. But he gave us some feedback a couple of months in that stuck with us, and not because it was any good, but (laughs) because it was funny. He told us that, Engel and I agree too much, and it sounds like an echo chamber, and that if he didn't know us, he might not listen. And he encouraged us to, wait for it now, embrace debate. I think when I heard this, I had a little bit of bile start to make its way from the depths of my stomach into the back of my mouth, but I heard him out. He wanted us to pick topics, take a side, and debate. 
Never mind that this type of format has been exhausted on every platform from sports to news to music to movies for decades, and that it's so predictable and so lazy and so contrived that it's either relentlessly made fun of by anyone with taste or just flat out ignored. Speaking of ignored, we ignored this advice and just stuck with our show, which one, people seem to really enjoy, and two, has plenty of organic arguments in every single episode. But as I said before, this advice stuck with me and I knew at some point I could use it. So when Tony wanted to be on the Christmas show, I told him he could come on and debate Ryan Engel. Lord knows the two of them do it enough over text message, so let's just have them do it on the show. And the outcomes were easy to predict. Either it would be so cringy that it would prove the point to Tony that manufactured debate sucks, or it would somehow work and make good TV because both Tony and Engel are stubborn and funny, and we could catch a little lightning in a bottle. What I didn't bank on was Tony catching drink after drink after drink from a bottle. Tony was drinking before the show, during the show, while he was on the show, and after the show. And come to find out the next day, he hadn't eaten a thing. So because he didn't go on with us until an hour in, this dude was pretty tossed. And when I say pretty tossed, he couldn't finish a single sentence, let alone a thought or any kind of coherent point in his debate. And it was pure, unintentional gold. When I asked him the first question about if the Waste Management Open was good for golf, and you could light his breath on fire, and he was slurring his words, and he went five minutes over the one-minute time allotment, I knew we had TV magic. Yeah. And then I turned to my computer, and I started looking at the live chat. And that's when I lost it. Watching people react in real time to what they were seeing was priceless. And I started crying from laughing so hard. You can go back and watch it. And credit to you, Engel, for hanging in there as Tony murdered the English language in the first degree and threw a drunken word salad at you for 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't even know what he said. <laughs> no one does. Yeah. He, he doesn't know what he said. Yeah. It was incredible. The chat was roasting him relentlessly, and I couldn't take my eyes off of that live chat. Luckily, he was coherent enough to understand direction when we dismissed him from the show and carried on for the final hour. But he wasn't coherent enough to ever stop talking off camera. The guy was a blabbermouth, and it was hilarious, but also incredibly distracting. We're doing the show, and in the background, he is just bending the ear of Andy Wall without any filter whatsoever. Yeah, And you just hear this guy doing a one-man show behind the show that we were doing. Now, in my opinion, he stole the show. He was the highlight of the night. Here's the problem. His intoxication did not turn off with the cameras at 8 p.m. In fact, he was only more liquored up after the show. <laughs> at one point during the after party at our warehouse, no one had seen him for 10 minutes. 10? Well, that's when we started to realize, where did this guy go? Yeah. And then we found out he was locked in the bathroom. Okay, that's fine. Maybe he's in there getting it out of his system because we all know. <laughs> <laughs> getting what out of his system, Mark? <laughs> who, who knows? But we all know there's no rally like a bootin' rally. Mm. But then 10 minutes turned into 20 and 20 turned into 30 and now a bit of panic and fear is kicking in with everyone. Is this dude okay? Is he alive? 
Chris from Cousin Clubs, who was on hand that night, being the tradesman that he is, had a tool on him. Of course he did. And he picked the lock to the John. And I got to say, when that door opened after not seeing Tony for 30 minutes, I couldn't look. I was nervous. I didn't know what we were going to see. Was there going to be vomit everywhere? Is there going to be a dude on the can with his pants around his ankles? Something worse, like someone who might need an ambulance ride? Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Bacardi, one of the biggest human beings we know, was face down, pants down on our bathroom floor. And by face down, we're talking forehead and nose flat, perpendicular to the floor. He was flat forehead down, arms by his side, limp. And when we first went in there, you know what I what I did first? Do you remember? I think you checked if he was breathing, right? I put both my hands on the middle of his lower back to try and feel for his lungs. Because mm. I couldn't tell if he was breathing or not. And I swear to God, Adam, I thought he was fucking dead. Well, spoiler alert, he wasn't, and thank God for that. Yeah, my stomach freaking dropped, dude. That's why I couldn't look. And credit to you, you do everything around here from taking out the cockroaches to dealing with the scorpions to going in when Tony Bacardi might be deceased yeah so i'm glad that you can do the things that that i can't do thankfully yes he was breathing completely passed out but breathing the weird thing is he apparently it started to remove his pants Mm -hmm. so the scene was both startling and hilarious now for the record tony told us the next day that he went in there to change his clothes and that's why his pants were down Mm. Apparently, his lights decided to go out mid-trouser removal, so it made for a slightly embarrassing scene. And let me just say, God bless Tony Picardi. Yeah. Now, if you think this story's over... It's It's not. It's just starting. (laughs) You know, we had a long night. (laughs) A very long night. Yeah. A very long night. I also want to say that our bathroom floor, after the roach invasion we had over the summer, is about the last place I'd want to lay my bare face, but not Mm. much you can do when you pass out. Yeah, I mean, you charge that to the game. About four of us got him up and into a chair where he instantly passed out again. And this dude slept through an hour of relentless volume 12 karaoke from every drunk idiot inside our very small warehouse. Yeah. Good for him. We have some videos. We have some video documentation. Yes. You don't even know what you're looking at when you rewatch it. No, because in one room, Brian Vidal is doing 15 karaoke songs in a row about as loud as anyone has ever performed karaoke. (laughs) Thank God he's a good singer or else that would have been terrible. Andy Wall is partaking in the karaoke. So is Nick Smith. You jumped in there for a song. And meanwhile, Anthony was just moving from being passed out on the bathroom floor to being passed out in a chair. And I hope that he was really out because if any part of him was conscious and you're in that state of mind and you have to sit there listening to karaoke and you can't physically move, that would have been an all-time nightmare. Yeah. Let's think about this for a second. Let's get some context. It's a somewhat of a holiday weekend. It's the weekend before Christmas. So a lot of people are out and about, going to parties, going to shindigs. You know, it's a pretty popular night, I would say, right, Hawk? And, you know, Tony lives in Santa Barbara. And for, for the listeners at home who have no idea where we're at or what we're doing, we're in South Orange County. As far south in Orange County as you can get, we're closer to North San Diego County than we are to 
the heart of Orange County. So we're, we're down here. And Tony's from Santa Barbara, and he drove down that day. He had no reservations anywhere, didn't eat, drove that whole way. We're getting shit-canned in here, and guy's got no plan to get anywhere. What can you do? What would you do? What is this? We're going to get into the lack of planning here in just a second, but I do want to let the listener know that we are only at stage two of the night. (laughs) (laughs) So... The night is winding down, and we have a situation. Oh, my God. Tony and Eunice, who was also on the show, drove in from Santa Barbara, as Ryan mentioned, and I'll save you the Google map search. That's 170 miles away. And Eunice, God love her, wasn't able to drive. Again, no judgment. It was a party, and we want our friends to have a good time, and they did, and they are our guests, so we took it easy and let them cut loose while we tightened it up because at some point... We're going to have to drive. So what to do? No one had a house with accommodations for two people. I'm all the way up in Fullerton. Ryan has a full house with a three-year-old. Craig Dunlap, who showed up for the after party, has 19 kids and only two bedrooms. Nick Smith had already peeled out. Thomas and his wife were gone. Chris from Cousin Clubs lives almost as far away as Tony and Eunice do. So what do we do? Our warehouse has one couch, and it's barely big enough for one person, let alone two. And if we let them sleep in our warehouse, we're running the risk of one of them waking up and thinking they can drive. So that was out of the question. So we did what any good friends would do, and we booked them a room at the Best Western just five miles down the road. Now the real adventure begins because we have to get Tony into Ryan's van. And let me reiterate this, folks. Moving this guy is like moving a grand piano. Getting him 25 feet from our warehouse to the car took 25 minutes. He was full-on weekend at Bernie's. So we got him in the car, finally. Rounded up all of their belongings, clothes, keys, shoes, grabbed some water bottles, and then we caravan to the Best Western. (laughs) Ryan leading the way with Tony and Eunice. Craig Dunlap and I following in separate cars solely to be there to get Tony into the room. So, and this is where you're going to take over, Ryan. Ryan pulls up to the front of the hotel, parks, and tells them both to stay in the van while he goes and checks them in. Craig and I park in a different lot not too far away and make our way over to the van to check on them. In the time that Ryan left the van to go check them in, and the time that it took Craig and I to go over to the front of the hotel where they were, Tony had passed out again for a third time, this time in a bush. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I wasn't there for that, but when I came back, I I came to the crime scene. I'm guessing he tried to get out of the car himself and just barreled right into the bush. Yeah. Because I couldn't park at the hotel. The hotel is this... In Capo Beach, it's it's right on the water in Capo Beach. It's just a small little Best Western. The only parking they have is this underground little like steep driveway, and I have my high-roof van. I just hit the hazards on and just backed that bitch right into the front of the driveway, blocked the world. I don't even know what time it was at that point, 12, 1, something like that. And I'm going, okay, well, just stay here. So I go to the check-in, and homeboy doesn't speak English. Because I come in guns a-blazing. Hey, dude, I need a key. I need to get it. Uh, and we put it under Tony's name. And he's looking at me just like, what the fuck? Luckily, he was really nice. But he's just like, I'm going to need the guy's ID, you know? And I'm like, bro, you do not want to see this guy, dude. <laughs> like, just trust me. 
here's my credit card. Give me the fucking room key, please. So finally, <laughs> finally, he gives it to me. And then I go down and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go grab a, a bell cart. Right. We're just going to put his fat ass on this cart and push him up the fucking runway, you know? Well, what we later found out is that the elevator went down to the downstairs thing, which was a straight shot for us. I thought we were going to do the switch back to the front thing, in which case the gentleman was going to see the person that I told him he didn't want to see. So I knew that we weren't out of the woods by by any shot. I come back down to you guys, and now you guys had shown up and pulling him out of the bushes, and it's just like, oh my God, dude. I got outvoted for putting him in the bell cart. I thought that would have been great. We somehow carried him. The best part was we get into the elevator on the bottom of the car park, and we start going up, trying to bypass the level where the front desk guy is. Well, unbeknownst to us, someone was waiting right there by the lobby guy's level that he has a clear view of the elevator. And they were trying to get the elevator too. This thing opens up, and here's the scene of all of us trying to hold up this guy who looks like he's dead. And he's massive and his face is puffy. I just look over and I just lock eyes with the front desk guys and I just kind of gave him this this look into his soul that said, I told you so, dude. So we uh. get them up to the room. Thank God. We throw Tony onto the bed. I think we got half of his body onto the bed. We had done our job. We got them there. We got their belongings there. And... I think one of my favorite parts of the entire situation was waking up the next day, not hearing from Anthony until 12 noon or so. And all he wrote to us was, where the hell am I? Yeah. (laughs) Because I got to imagine that if your last memory is getting your ass kicked in a debate segment on a Christmas show, and then you wake up in a hotel room by the beach, you've you've got some questions. I want to say this. Tony... I love you. We don't recall this story on the podcast to embarrass you or shame you. We recall it because we have to. We're in the content game, and if you give us that kind of content the same way Lars does without knowing and Jordan Dixon does without knowing, it's going to be on the podcast. So welcome to the club, the content club. Two questions for you, Tony, as we wrap this part up. You still want to debate? (laughs) How'd that go for you? I'm sure you wish we were debating instead of talking about this, but I'm pretty sure the listeners are happy with the direction of the format right now. And by the way, Lindsay Wrighton, Thomas's wife, likes that Ryan and I agree. She says it's a more enjoyable listen and cements that Ryan and I are indeed like-minded friends. And no one needed to carry Lindsay to bed on Friday. So I'm going to go with her opinion on the show. Second question for you, Tony. And Ryan asked this already, but I'll ask it to you. What was the plan when you drove three hours to a live show, didn't eat, drank your body weight, and didn't have a hotel? Just curious. Again, we were happy to help. That's what friends do. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you would have done it for us too. But when you were two hours into that three-hour drive down to San Clemente and you knew you were going to get sauced up and you knew you didn't have a place to stay, what was the plan. And Tony, I actually want to know the answer to that question. Yeah. So go ahead and text Ryan and I after you listen to this, because I would love to know the plan. To everyone that watched Anthony Bacardi on the television show and had a real good time making fun of him, just understand behind the scenes, we had a real difficult time 
moving him from the bathroom to the chair to the hotel. Yeah. But we would do it again in a heartbeat because it must be said, we love the man. Yep. And we're not here to embarrass him. We are simply here to do- Talk about him embarrassing himself. Yes. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) And by the way, later, like once he came to, because we went, what, until like two o'clock in the afternoon until we heard from him? Something like that. I texted you. I was like, every 30 minutes that goes by that we don't hear from him, I'm losing a little more respect for this guy. And then he finally came in like, oh, sorry, you know, what happened? You know, and it was actually really funny. But- he hit me up on the DMs. He shared some stupid... And we've told everyone all this. Stop sending us the shit. We don't care. Memes. And videos. And videos. Yep. Low-hanging fruit, low-brow golf content. Right. So anyways, Tony sends me that dumb clip of Colin Morikawa talking about how much of a sport golf is or something. And I just wrote him, you've already lost this argument. <laughs> Sending me some nerd's opinion from the PGA Tour means nothing. Just so everyone understands, really soak in who Tony Bacardi is, and this is why we love him. This guy asked us to debate more on the podcast. We ignored it. We brought him on to debate on the Christmas show. He got so drunk that he couldn't finish a sentence. He got his ass kicked in the debate. He kicked his own ass, but he also got his ass kicked by Ryan. We then have to haul him to a hotel. Don't hear from him for a long time. And he decides to send you a video continuing the debate about whether or not it's golf is a like, game or a sport. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like Rocky Balboa, dude. Right. Like, there's no more eyes to cut out. The fight's over, dude. Yeah, it's done. Buddy. You know? His hand is going to come up from the dirt after we bury him. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And another thing. And another thing. <laughs> oh, my God. We love you, buddy. Yep. So, after the show, we went our separate ways. I took my annual trip. After Christmas, and what did you do? What did you do between the show and today? Any highlights besides going and seeing something corporate at the yeah. Grove in Anaheim? <laughs> the good old Grove in Anaheim. Yeah. Actually, that's a that's a good venue because I've been to some concerts lately. You know, as you're getting older, you get a little more grouchy on certain things. When you're young, you don't give a shit. You can be shoulder to shoulder, uncomfortable, wait in bathroom lines get shitty drinks, and you just don't care. But as you get older, those things start to bother you. The Grove's a good a good venue. You can go down and be all tight with everyone in the front, or you can kind of be back a little bit, have your own space, and can get a drink easy. It was a good spot. Never been there, but that was fun. But we just did some family stuff. We laid low. We did Christmas at home, did some housework, just kind of like planted our feet in the ground because, dude, our calendar on January is bonkers. Is that right? It's freaking bonkers dude flights and long drives and events and get-togethers and parties and birthdays specific golf things planned there's a dot on every day and each dot has multiple things on Mm, sure i want to ask this on behalf of the podcast listeners because i know everyone's thinking it and i don't want you to get mad at me when i ask i'm just asking because the listeners want to know Specifically, I can imagine Craig Dunlap really wanting me to ask this question. So, on record, your last few concerts have been the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Revolution at the OC Fair, your wife just went and saw Ambrosia, and now you go to something corporate. You were a man known for impeccable taste, and you might have the worst 
taste in music when it comes to going to live shows. Do you just love spending money on horrible, shitty bands? Revolution, I was dragged to that, and that band sucks. So don't make it seem like I'm just waiting in line to buy tickets to this shit. We saw Henry Capono, which is a Hawaiian legend, and that was an unbelievable show. Super rad and emotional. We saw Kaloe Kai, which is like the biggest Hawaiian artist. And, you know, my family's from there. And that was really exciting for mom and dad. It's funny how you can be a Radiohead fan, but talk shit on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it's like, okay, that's that's a weird stance to take. Their concerts are amazing. That was fun. I don't like the Foo Fighters at all. We went with to that because our friends were in for Maui and they're huge Foo Fighter fans. And we just wanted to hang out with them. A lot of this stuff, we're just going for the experience. But something corporate, before you start lumping them into some like shitty concert thing, I went to high school with those guys, and I love those guys. And last night, I got to see Kevin, who's the bass player in the band. He was like my music buddy in high school. He would help our bands all the time. His nickname was The Sound Guy. We started talking the other night, and, and he's like, I still have the same phone number. I looked, and the last time we messaged each other was 2010. He had kids. We like went our separate ways. Nothing ever bad happened, but I hadn't seen him in forever, you know? And to see those guys and connect, and it's not my favorite music, but fuck, we had so much fun. And they gave us the VIP thing. We hung out with them afterwards and just seeing them with their families. What was really cool about it that I didn't even remember any of this stuff. They made this joke all the time because when they first started the band, Kevin didn't have a bass amp and he borrowed mine all the time. If he was ever late to a show or something like that, they're like, oh, do you have to go get Ryan's bass? And like, even when I'd be on a surf trip, he'd come over to my parents' house, knock on the door and be like, oh, Mrs. Ingle, can, do you mind if I grab the amp? And it was like a known thing that he'd just every now and then come by and wheel that thing out. And we, we basically shared this thing. And, and Andrew even said the night, the lead singer, he's just like, yeah, you didn't know that? Like, we joke about it all the time that like, we wouldn't even have had a band if you didn't fucking loan him the bass. And I was like, I forgot about all that shit. So it was just like nostalgic and it was cool to see all those guys. And, and you know what? They put on a great show. They have, they have a really good fan base. Everyone's just super into it. And that's the thing about like live music. And, and I've always been a huge fan of live music. And whether I'm like super passionate about the band I'm listening to or something, you see how stoked people are on it. And it's just like live music's just, it's really cool. It's like it, it, there's like an energy that you can't really describe. And most good musicians sound good live. You know, it's New Year's. It was it was a fun gig. Yeah, so shame on you for just being so, you know, negative and judgmental and coming from the guy who had like goofy fucking hooded sweatshirts on, taking Molly, listening to people who claim themselves as DJs, <laughs> play electronic music in fucking forests. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Glad I asked you that question. I didn't know that I would tap into a heartstring right there. It's the truth. I played a little music. I'm not some savant of a bass or player or drummer, but like played shows. We played the Coach House one Halloween and I loved the feeling that I got playing music and the camaraderie with the guys. And there's nothing better than when you're on that side of it, seeing people stoked in the crowd and coming up to you afterwards and stuff. And so like I'm into that energy. These bands that I go see or these concerts that I've seen, do I listen to it in my car? Probably not. You know, I, I do have a very distinct taste in the music that I enjoy in my own time. But when it comes to like concerts and live music, I'm super open-minded to that because I love that shit. What was cool about all that stuff is like 
you'd play your set within the the group of bands playing the camaraderie with the bands outside and you'd peek in and listen to each other and like get to know guys and see them the next time and like you don't have to like love their shit or be super into their stuff to like appreciate it and like be a part of it i guess that's why when my wife's like hey let's go see these guys i'm like fuck i'm down i don't give a shit and i usually have a good time Glad to hear it. You love to hear it. So for me, I took my annual post-Christmas trip with my family and our incredible great friends, Jimmer Smith and his wife, Grace. Eight years ago, I was asked to officiate their wedding in the Redwood Forest of Big Sur, California. Wow. And it was just them, my wife and me, an incredible day that bonded the four of us. And I was honored that they asked me to marry them. Fun fact here. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I have officiated four weddings. In my life. Wow. But theirs stands out for obvious reasons. And that four-person wedding in the woods eight years ago started a tradition where our two families take an end-of-the-year trip together every late December. We've been to Monterey three times, San Diego, Sedona, La Quinta, Joshua Tree, and now most recently, Los Osos, California in San Luis Obispo County. Never been there. Unbelievable town breathtakingly beautiful memories for a lifetime but and here's the but folks <sighs> the kids man the kids now you got to believe me when i say it i love my kids pride and joy of my life but four hours in the car with a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and all the subsequent trials and tribulations thereafter it wears on you man it's this juxtaposition of being on an incredible vacation with incredible people in an incredible setting and every 10 minutes hearing, I want this, buy me that. I'm tired. I don't want to walk anymore. I got to poop. I'm cold. I'm hot. Give me your phone. I'm bored. And the couple we vacation with don't have kids, but we're lucky. They love ours. And if we did the whole godparent thing, they'd have been named godparents a long time ago. They love our kids. Our kids love them. They are legitimately like an aunt and uncle to Penelope and Johnny. So God bless Jimmer and Grace because it's that love for our kids that makes the whole trip work. Because if they didn't love our kids, they'd have been out a long time ago and no one would have blamed them. Again, not all bad. We had some really, really great times. But there were some moments that I got to tell you about. For instance, my five-year-old son, Johnny, who just got over a stomach virus, is bouncing back like we bounced back from the Black Friday show. It's been that big of a turnaround. But the kid is shitting more than an elephant. What the fuck? I kid you not. The guy took five dumps a day, three days in a row, all of them absolute tree trunks. Wow. And I can't tell you how many times I had to wipe his ass over 72 hours. It was unbearable. Gnarly. Unbearable. This is the same kid that we took to the beach on day one, and he couldn't outrun a wave break that was coming up knee deep on the shore, and he face planted in sweatpants, a jacket, and a beanie right into the water and was coughing up sand and salt for the next eight hours. Now, that was a fun bath to give to a four-year-old in a rental house. But I think the funniest part of the trip, in hindsight, was night two. We play the world's longest game of Uno with both kids, call it a night around 10 o'clock, turn off the fireplace, and head downstairs to bed. Now it's 11 p.m., my kids are awake because it's vacation, but we finally get them into the bed, start the lullaby music, and my wife says, quote, my eyes are burning and I smell natural gas. Oh, God. End quote. 
Grace then tells everyone to get out of the house as quickly as possible. I call the fire department. They come in six minutes, check out the house, and find a gas leak so bad that they deemed it unsafe for us to go back into it. Six people outside at midnight, four hours from home, needing to book a Motel 6 15 minutes up the road. I mean, just call me Tony Bacardi at this point. The girls take the kids to the hotel. Jimmer and I stay back to wait for the gas company. Dude comes out, finds out it's the water heater, turns it off, tells us we're safe to go back in, except it's past midnight and everyone is at the Motel 6, and now we don't have hot water in the rental anymore. Jimmer and I go to the Motel 6. It's a straight-up dump. The phone in my room had old nacho cheese on it, and we sleep in what was like a prison for a few hours before loading up all of our stuff again and going back to the rental for the final day. I will say this, pretty happy to be alive. There was a natural gas leak strong enough to make my wife's eyes burn, and we were upstairs with an open flame fire going, so I don't know how bad it could have been, but I'm certainly happy that no one slept through it, and I'd much rather be in a Motel 6 than a hospital or a grave. But it was an amazing trip, can't wait for next year, where my wife and I have already agreed the kids who we love aren't coming. Whoa! This will be the first time in eight years where the kids are left at home. They are now old enough to stay with the grandparents. And guess what, kids? If you don't appreciate a very expensive, very amazing vacation, well, go ahead and anchor down with the grandparents. Wow. So you're not going to be pulling over on the side of the road and walking it off? That's my trademark move. I love the old pull on over, take a walk. Start talking to God, ask for more patience, ask for deliverance, ask for the rapture, ask for anything that gets you out of this situation. Wow. I love a good old pull it over, walk it off. And that's what happens when you're in the car with kids for that long. Speaking of tough drives, Harold Varner III, (laughs) former PGA Tour player and now a D-list star in the CW playing live golf, popped for DUI at twice the legal limit in North Carolina. His mugshot is about as flattering as Tiger Woods back when Eldrick drove off the road in Florida and told an officer he thought he was in California. I will never understand celebrity DUIs. You've got millions in the bank, tons at stake, and an Uber costs $20. And it was twice the legal limit? Yep. The legal limit's like... 0.08. Which is one cocktail? Two or three, depending on your body weight and how strong the cocktail is. But it's it's more than one. Are you sure about that? Yep. I think it's like two or three beers, but like I think it's like one cocktail. You might be right. You might be right. So he had two cocktails. Here's the thing, and, and I'm not trying to make light of drinking and driving. No. Obviously, no. everyone should know their, their limits. And what I don't condone is recklessness, period. And that's not with the drinking. That's with the, did he get pulled over like doing a burnout? Or was he swerving and being an idiot? Or did he just like have a couple drinks, was casually driving home and went through a DUI checkpoint and they just randomly pulled him out and said, blowing this. I think it's easy to to jump on the train and be like, oh, what an idiot or that sucks or whatever. But there's also a lot of fucking gray area bullshit when it comes to DUIs. I'd like to know the context. You can get the mugshot and everyone can point the finger and be like, what an idiot. He's a millionaire. And those about it's like, that was a legal limit. We all go out to dinner and have wine at an Italian food place. There's probably a million times that anybody, the best dude in the world, could blow into that thing and go to fucking jail. No one talks about this because it's like, you don't want to sound like the guy who's promoting drinking and driving. A lot of gray area when it comes to this topic, and I think the context matters. Like when Tiger Woods got pulled over, dude was fucking like 
swerving in and out of the lanes, falling asleep. And like the body cam footage was like, holy shit, what are you doing driving, you fucking dumbass? That was dangerous. I don't know. I'd like to know Harold Varner's thing. Like, was it dangerous or did he just have some bad luck? I'm not sticking up for the guy. I'm not taking a side here. I just feel like people like to pile on on this topic and no one likes to talk about the realness of it, which is like some of it's kind of bullshit. And the cops, they got to follow their rules. So you blow in the thing and it's whatever. So they got to take you in. When it comes to this stuff, I don't know. I think the context matters. It's easy to just throw some clickbait out there. Here's his mugshot. Let's all just pile on the guy. Fuck, maybe he deserves it. Maybe he doesn't. But maybe some info on how. <laughs> like, that's journalism. I mean... Like, where did he get pulled over? What was it for? That kind of matters, I think. I'd like that for me if it happened to me. Instead of people just being like, what a fucking piece of shit. Totally fair. It's a really interesting side that you just took. And I don't think you're taking his side or not, but just the side of, I want more context for this. That is a totally fair, reasonable thing to say. On a much better pro golf note, and no, I'm not talking about the season starting in Hawaii. I am talking about our season, the desert season starting at La Quinta Country Club because guess who got a text message from a PGA Tour Pro? Folks, you're looking at them through your podcast iPod screens. Ryan Engel and Adam Hawk got a text message from Patton Kazire asking if we wanted to join him and fellow Tour Pro Ben Martin for a round of golf at La Quinta Country Club. And of course we do. And of course we are. And you love to hear it. You really do. Let, let's talk about something real quick. Let's guys. do it. Let's let's break this whole thing down. I have so much to say. Well, first of all, I love what we do for one one main thing and one thing only. And it's the genuine connections we make. And knowing that Patton and Joe kind of went their separate ways and those are business decisions. The fact that all that happened and we're all still bros and they're still bros and we get an invite after the fact for that, that meant more than the invite to me because it's like we reached out to both of them. We still support them 100% and and this is just some good old-fashioned man stuff. You love to hear that. Here's what I'll say. I was at a Christmas party the other night. I was talking to a buddy and I was like, how's your how's your foot? And he's like, oh, good. And I'm like, you ready to start playing again? He's like, yeah, I think so. And and he's like, yeah, you've been playing? And I was like, uh, yeah, a little bit, I think. And fuck, when was the last time I played golf? Let me go on the Gin Network app, right? The Gin. It's the Gin. I opened the Gin app. Mm-hmm. Last round your kid played, 11-29. Wow. Didn't hit a golf ball in the entire month of December. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Didn't even hit one. Wow. Did not hit one shot. So... I think we need to go hit a couple balls, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> let's break this whole thing down for a sec. So really couldn't agree with you more. Getting a text message from Joe Editor saying, hey, Patton's going to reach out. I gave him your contact info. He's going to want to play golf with you guys when he comes out to the desert in early January. Awesome. Really cool. You already mentioned it. The fact that they're still friends and we're still friends with them, even though they don't work together anymore. And even though we don't sponsor Joe anymore, it just shows that the friendship was more than just business. Thank God. Cause we still owe Joe some money. Um, but that was really cool. And then this feeling washes over me of, I can't believe I'm living a life in which I get a text message from a PGA tour pro wanting to play golf with me at 
a country club that he's got a tea time at. That's really cool. Well, you know, I I hate to do this to you. Here we go. But you kind of got lumped in, like oh like, my gosh, you, you you know, there's a vetting. There's, Shut there's a, the hell for, up. For a pro to invite some AMs to play with them, there's a vetting process. I'm not saying I'm the greatest golfer by any stretch. Oh my! Gosh. But my golf is out there in the world for the world to see. So he knows that I'm not just some complete, total, stupid fraud. I can manage myself to play golf. Yours isn't out there for the world to see. And so being invited like this with him not knowing that what you're capable of or where your game's at, he's putting his trust that because you're my guy that you're going to make yourself in the graces of the golf gods. Unbelievable. So, I'm you know, your I, guy. In this yeah, scenario, so, so when, basically, it comes to, when it comes to... So what I'm going to say is this, Adam, is what I'm going to say is this. If you start jumping into bunkers from the high side from the green or parking your car to block the maintenance guy from going around by the tee boxes or fucking leaving your wedge in the exact wrong direction after we finish holing out and you're walking back. If you start doing the hawk stuff out there, you're not going to get invited back. I'm just warning you because that's how those guys work and they're going to be like, I can't I don't, can't trust this guy. He's going to make me look like a like an amateur. You better know when to pick it up. That's just an unwritten rule of the game, bud. All right, just so you know, when it comes to who is whose guy in the Patton and Joe dynamic, you're my guy. Oh, okay. I yeah. brought us that's Joe not what I'm ta- That's not what no, I'm talking you, about. You listen here, no, bud. You no, listen that's here. not what I'm talking about. You, what I'm talking about is Joe's never seen you hit a ball or leave a wedge back behind on another hole. So this is good that we're getting this out because if I were you, I'd be on my best behavior come, uh, is it Saturday? June 6th? J- J- whatever? January 6th. January 6th, yeah. Isn't that a date you have circled every year uh, to celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> Regardless. After the initial excitement wore off of being able to go and play with Patton, because here's the thing, what I'm really excited about is it's one thing to watch these guys from behind the ropes, but playing 18 holes with a PGA Tour professional and seeing that up close, like as close as we want it, seeing how he's going to hit shots. Are you playing the tips? Read putts. Um, of course. I'm, You're playing the tips. Yeah, it's La Quinta. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that long. Oh, uh, it? it's going to eat you up. Dad. Well, I, I, I'm fully prepared to get eaten alive. However, that's what I want to talk about is that the initial excitement of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we got invited. And, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're going to be able to see this up close. A guy in so much control of such an uncontrollable game. I can't wait to soak this all up. Uh, that excitement gave way to some serious, serious fear of this is La Quinta Country Club. This is the narrowest fairways. There are houses everywhere. It's very scary. And we're playing with a pro. So I started thinking to myself, can I go to Ryan and float the idea that him and I play a two-man scramble? We can talk about this now, but we're his guest. Uh-huh. So we're going to show up, shake hands, and he's going to tell us what we're doing. Of course. And that's that's fine. I'm saying- If, like, he, if he mentions that, I, I'll do that with you if you want. Okay. But if he doesn't um, throw out any game and he's just there to get some scouting in and hang out with us because he's going to play La Quinta- I think chances month. are they're going to want to play some type of best ball with handicaps. That's what I would guess. Okay, very Or good. it might, what, what it most likely is going to be, it's going to be a practice round environment and there's other pros out there that day and we're going to be hitting some shots, throwing some balls down. They're going to be like chipping and putting multiple locations on greens and we're just there to kind of play, know when to pick up, no, like not like really kind of count score. I, 
deep down inside, I feel like that's what it's pr- most likely going to be. Now, if we have a good hole or something and I'm going for it in two on a par five or have a putt, like there'll be up like moments where we play out, but more often than not, it's just going to be kind of like a drop some balls down. If you hit it out, don't worry. Like just keep it moving. We're, we're, we're out here just like doing our job of, of, of prepping for this course. I have a feeling it might be something along those lines. I didn't even think about that. that I'm sure you didn't, which goes back to my first point, whereas you're my guy in this, yeah, and yep. I'm the one that knows the game, and he invited us because he knows that I can carry you through this experience. But what I didn't think about was there probably are going to be other pros out there. Yeah. If he's bringing another pro as his partner, then you're probably right that this is a day for all of them. It's going to be no different than the tournament where the amateurs that are playing, like when they blow up, they just kind of pick up. Well, here's another thing I wanted to talk about. How savvy is Pat and Kazire to fill up his foursome with two amateurs because this is a pro-am. So not only does he get to go and practice the course, he gets to practice the course in real life environment of having two amateurs along for the ride because he does have to play with two amateurs when they actually do it. Genius. So he texted us and said, boys, I'm looking forward to it. You guys are in charge of the tunes. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we're already dialed up. We've got the Swing Loop playlist on Spotify ready to go. It's going to be a great time. Yeah. Are you nervous? No. I mean, I'll probably feel some butterflies just out of my own embarrassment to, like, make sure I make contact with the ball, you know, when we first tee off. But I'm excited, not nervous. I'm really excited to play with Patton because, like we've said so many times before, that when we first sponsored Joe, who was Patton's caddy at the time, it was so easy for us to get behind them. For one, like, from a style standpoint, an aesthetic standpoint, he fits our thing, but on, on top of that, he's just a Southern gentleman. His whole vibe is really cool. And so I'm excited to play golf with him because of that. But when he said that and, and he offered two different days to play, and one was at PGA Worst and one was at La Quinta Country Club, I jumped at La Quinta Country Club immediately because after all these years, I've walked that course so many times. I know every hole. I've never played there. Wow, cool. That'd and I'm really, really, really excited to play LQCC. That's awesome. I'm glad that you get to scratch that off your list. Yeah. Now, this tea time is brutal for me. You're going to be out there ahead yeah. of time. This tea time is at 7.15 in the morning. I thought he said 9.06. That is the PGA West tea time the day before. Oh, it's going to be a sweater round, and you love to see it. It's not just going to be a sweater round. It's going to be I'm waking up at 3 in the morning and getting out of my house at 4 to get to the desert in time for this tea time. I'm driving from Fullerton to a 7.15 a.m. tea time in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you come out the night before? I don't think I can swing that. I'm driving after Palmer goes down. I'm going late. Yeah, but you already have accommodations and everything. You can just crash on the couch. We'll talk about that later. God, you're such a pussy. We'll just talk about it later. Whatever happened to just like, yeah, dude, that's perfect. It sounds great. Uh, I'll tell you what happened. Wife, kids. What you do is you pull the trigger. You get real excited about it. So then when you tell her, you're not asking out of fear. You're telling her like, this is a way better idea. Oh, hey, Mina, here's a way better I'll idea. help put the kids down, and then I'll go out to the desert, and you can have your own time watching Bravo. She'd be like, fucking cool story, beat it, because you're not going to help out in the morning leaving early anyway, so what does it matter? Sounds very smart to me, and you'd love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Anyways, throwing that out there, you do what you want with that. Thank you. That's going to do it for us. What a monster podcast this one was. Thank you, everyone, for tuning back in. It is a new year. We will get this thing monetized, but do us a favor. Help us grow the listenership. Subscribe if you haven't already. We're into money. We're into money. (laughs) Share this podcast with anyone and everyone that you know. And let's take this thing to the next level. That's going to do it for us. We will see you here next week, hopefully on Monday, with a full recap of our round at La Quinta Country Club. We've got a lot for what it takes to get along. (laughs) With Pat and Kazire. That's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. Uh